Yuma. My name is Jude Barlow and I'm a Ngunnawal woman. My family are Wallabaloa people, a family group within the Ngunnawal nation. Ngunnawal people are the traditional custodians of Canberra and the surrounding region. And my ancestors have lived on this country for thousands of years, from the mountains to the life-giving rivers. I want to welcome you now to the land of my ancestors, on which the National Gallery of Australia stands. And I will welcome you in the language of my ancestors, a language once thought dead, but we Ngunnawal people, we know it was only sleeping, and we have awoken it. Yangu Nalamanyin Dunimanyin Nunuwal wari darwa wari, darwa nuna norumbanya, marabiji mulangari dinyala, gulumbanyi, naragana wali yeri, yarabinyin, nona yarwi yangu, yumulundi, nunuwal wari, darwa wari. Today we're all gathering together on Nunuwal country, and this is my ancestor's spiritual homeland, and we are keeping the pathways of our ancestors alive by all of us walking together as one. You may leave your footprints here. Welcome to Ngunnawal country. I would also like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which you are listening to this podcast, and I pay them my profound respects and thank them for their many outstanding contributions to the life of this nation. Janimaba, thank you. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are respectfully advised that this recording may contain voices of and reference to deceased people. Where possible, permission has been sought to include their names. Artists Artists is a podcast brought to you by the National Gallery of Australia. I'm Jennifer Hickey. And over the course of the series, I'll be chatting with artists about works of art from the National Collection that inspire, move or intrigue them. Today I'm talking with Julie Rapp, an Australian artist who was raised in the Ugumbi region of Queensland on the Gold Coast. From the mid-1970s, Julie's involvement with body art and performance expanded into photography, painting, sculpture and video in her ongoing project exploring representations of the body. She has 15 works in the National Collection, including Persona and Shadow Puberty, which is currently on display in the National Gallery Touring Exhibition Know My Name, Australian Women Artists. Julie, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. The first work you've chosen is by the Australian First Nations artist, Tracy Moffat, who was born in 1916, in Brisbane. First Jobs Pineapple Cannery 1978 was created in 2008 from archival pigments on rice paper with gel medium, and it depicts rows of workers in green and pink uniforms at a pineapple cannery. Julie, when did you first come across Tracy Moffat's work? Well, I've known Tracy's work probably from her first exhibitions and I've known her since that time and I regard her as a good mate but I decided on this one because I thought it was quite a quirky group of work she did this first jobs idea and I guess we all can respond to that we've all had a first job which was usually not the job we've ended up with sometimes I 
try to send myself to sleep by going through all the jobs that I've done. <laughs> so I just particularly related, but more significantly, that particular work I chose was the one in the cannery because I actually worked in that cannery. Oh, amazing. You're not in the photo, are you? <laughs> no, this was when I was going to university. That cannery sticks in my memory because it was piecework, meaning there was no union attached to that cannery. So it was a pretty kind of Dickensian scene, if you like, because you just have to show up and hope you got some work. And you can imagine many more people more desperate than I was because I was a student. But the incredible thing about that cannery was there was just no health and safety whatsoever. And I remember when I I first went there, nobody tells you much, but I just followed everybody else and they were all putting this kind of pink cream on their hands and on their arms and then you could put gloves on and I'm like, I just copied everybody else. And then when I got into the, was put on the line for the pineapple shooting down and our job (laughs) was to dig all the kind of slightly bad bits out of the pineapple, which had been skinned, obviously, at that point. And that fell into a trough and then the rest went off and were cut into slices or pieces or whatever. But two things came out of that was, one, I realised what the cream was because some of the women in the line who'd worked there for a long time basically had open weeping sores from the acid from the pineapple. So that was the first sort of horror. And the second was that the bits that we dug out of the pineapple, (laughs) which were slightly bad, became pineapple juice. Oh no, I'm never I'm never drinking it again. <laughs> anyway, so it's like just a funny story connected to the fact of that cannery. When I look at those rose women, I thought that's a true thing, you know, that is what it was like. And there were other sections of it where we got hauled off to do other tasks. But that particular photo depicts all the women in the rose. It's not necessarily my favorite image of hers or even that series, but you know, she's a really, really important Indigenous artist. I know that her work's quite broad in a way, and that's what I like about it. That work is not about being Indigenous. That's just like any human being. What are your first jobs? I I love her work because it's got that kind of, it's got lots of depth. It can be about many different things and many different stories. But yeah, I chose that one just purely because it's just amusing that it happened to be one of my early jobs. I'd love to hear a bit more about your thoughts more generally about Tracy Moffat's work. I mean, she's obviously a very important Australian artist. She's worked across various media over the last few decades. She's represented Australia in the Venice Biennale. What do you see as her sort of importance? Well, I think in some ways her importance grows because there probably weren't a lot of Indigenous artists exhibiting in a contemporary sense full stop when she started. And she is obviously an urban Indigenous artist unlike artists working within their kind of traditional context on land. Um, And at that point in time, when I started working, we weren't seeing that kind of work either. That sort of came later. I was first drawn to, and probably the work she's now still most famous for, is a work from a series called Something More from 1989. So, That's a very famous series. And the interesting thing about photography, being a photographer, or some of my work, not all of my work's photography, but artists work with series. But interestingly enough, if you ask many people about something more, they probably could remember that image and not necessarily the others, which is always fascinating to me because particularly with Tracy's work, there's always a kind of narrative element to it. There's a kind of story unfolding. 
And the photos are very staged in the same way and could easily be stills from a film. And so I think she would think that herself, that in a way they all operate like that as kind of stills from a potential film, but it certainly suggests a narrative form. So, yeah, that's probably perhaps the first work of hers or first series of works that I was most aware of. But, yeah, she's a really important Australian artist and, as I said earlier, in some ways her importance grows because of understanding and emphasis on Indigenous art generally in Australia and she was really at the forefront of all of that. But I think it's broader than that. I think she touches upon the human condition that means we all can relate to that regardless of whether we're Indigenous or not. So, yeah, she's a really, really important artist. Another artist who works with photography is the Australian artist Sol Wiener, who was born in 1961. And for your second choice, you've chosen his photograph, Mother and Daughter, which was created in 1985. And it's quite an eerie photograph. It's black and white. It's just under half a metre tall. And even though it just says mother and daughter in the title, there are actually three women in the composition. What is it about this artwork that drew you to it? Do You know, it was interesting when I was asked to look through the collection because there's plenty of works I could have chosen that I love as well. I don't know Sol Wiener's work at all. I'd never heard of him. I still haven't heard of him except now I have because I've found it in the collection. I intentionally haven't looked up anything because I just felt I wanted to choose something that I responded to very naturally and viscerally without having any background, very different to Tracy, whose work I know intimately and have seen a lot of. I don't even know if Sol Wing is still practising as a photographer. I have no idea because that photo is from 1985, so quite a long time ago now. It's an interesting one to choose. It reminded me, you know, of other kinds of practices in its kind of strange, surreal, uncanny quality. As you said, it's called mother and daughter, but there's three figures. So it's quite mysterious. And there's some of the other photos from that series, also black and white, were also very surreal. And he obviously might have done a bit of double exposure or whatever, I don't know. It has that kind of slightly Diane Arbus sort of quality. And I'm sort of a little bit intrigued to know more about him, which I guess one of the things about looking into a collection is that it whets your appetite to find out more. And but also nice to think that an image lives outside its time and even whether that photographer or artist is even working anymore or, frankly, is even still alive. And I like the fact that an image can jump out of a mass of images like that and stay with you. There's a kind of narrative intention there, completely different to how I work. I'm not at all interested in narrative in my own practice but many photographers are interested in it because photography, as soon as you have a series, you have a kind of narrative. Um, and I guess his work certainly has that because, as I say, that some of the, there was a, another really strange one of he and his father. Photography is kind of a, it tells the truth and it also lies at the same time, which is why it's a very intriguing medium. Just through lighting and maybe a little bit of manipulation with double exposure or whatever, He's created a sort of very uncanny image. Because it's a photograph, we want to make it sit in the real, but in actual fact, it's surreal. Is surrealism something that has influenced your own practice? Well, people often write about my practice in that context. 
And interestingly, I'm working with the writer Drusilla Majeska at the moment, who's writing a new book about Claude Cahoon and a number of other surrealist women artists from the past. We've been able to find lots of images of mine that in a way would work within that surrealist register, if you like. I can't be a surrealist because it's a movement from (laughs) many moons ago. But I guess photography, you know, you thought about someone like Magritte, for example, you would go, he'd be a photographer now because photography lends itself to those illusions. So it does interest me. I think, as I say, photography broadly probably can work with that sort of language of surrealism quite easily. I mean, it's interesting that this work was made in 1985 and sometimes works that are made in a very specific time are very much of their time and other works transcend their time and become timeless. Do you think that this work is dated or do you think it does have a timeless quality to it? I don't think it's, I'd say, dated because you could probably have a a young photographer working in that mode today, black and white. I teach and run an art school and we have a massive analogue darkroom that students love using. So old techniques don't go away. So that, that part of it's always can be made fresh, as it were. But I guess the subject matter is pretty um, universal. I wouldn't regard it as documentary photography, even though it's just, it's recording people in that way. But it's obviously trying to bring in, as we said, this kind of surrealist edge. So it does belong in a time, I think, of thinking in, in terms of photography, of not just using photography as the truth speaking medium. But on the other hand, because I think of the subject matter, it's fairly timeless. For the next work that you've chosen, we're moving from photography to a really extraordinary abstract painting by the Australian Pitupi artist Yakulcha Napangati, who was born in 1969 in Lake Mackay in the Northern Territory, Western Australia. And her painting, Untitled, was created in 2006, and it's a large square work made out of synthetic polymer paint on canvas. And its intricate, shimmering tones of yellow and orange, a beautifully hypnotic painting. When did you first come across this artwork? What I loved about, and I'm sure it's a kind of regional thing, the Pintupi people paint in this particular way, always when I go to shows of Indigenous art, I'm always drawn to that particular way of painting. And what's interesting is you use the word abstract, and of course it is abstract, but then is it abstract? That's our language. And so I try to kind of view it outside that lens of how I would look at it with a Western eye. And I do see it as quite performative. I think their work is quite performative in in a particular way because they're mark-making And they're transcribing something which is an experience of their landscape onto a two-dimensional surface. And when I look at those particular groups of paintings from that region, I just find they're just so energetic at a kind of movement level because they're done by hand and there's no straight lines really. But when you first look at it, you feel like it's much more gridded up, but it's not. And there's something about that I think that I have to try and think around that lens of abstraction and the history of abstraction within Western art and try and, in a way, just feel that painting and not try and analyse that painting. But I guess I chose these ones because it's a kind of energetic response to it would be the only way I could really frame it. 
I think it's interesting what you say about, you know, the word abstract, which of course is a very complicated word because it's used in a very specific way in the history of Western painting. And of course, for the Aboriginal peoples of Australia, a painting will represent deep knowledge and a mapping of the land and a kind of knowledge that we don't necessarily have access to. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the different levels that a painting can operate on. From my background, I can only almost take it at surface values. My way of entering that is, I mean, you know, I could go and read up about what they are trying to make or what them painting addresses, but I do often try to just look at them outside of that framework in a way so it's not didactic for me. And sometimes with painting like that, I mean, this is just how I operate, is I imagine if I was painting it, kind of movement of the hand and the the kind of the intention, and, and, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I imagine if it is a sort of mapping, it's a kind of translation between a three-dimensional physical world translated onto a, a two-dimensional surface. But that's a kind of mind transfer in a way, which is really interesting. And then you're applying it by hand. So is it like a kind of writing form? You know, if you imagine we were writing in, in a kind of Western sense of writing, you're writing a word, and but as you're writing it, a story's unfolding. And so I see it like that. So I often look at those paintings quite up close, like I have that distant perspective, which is the kind of over the washing of it over you, the kind of movement that you have to step back to see the flow, because it's often very subtle. That almost looks like they are very abstract in that sense and then you step away and you see these rhythms in it and then when you go up close and you you know I sometimes do that I imagine if I was painting making that line yeah I mean that's I can only really I guess describe my own experience of how I look at a painting like that. It's a very just physically beautiful painting it's very rhythmic there are these warm pulsating colours and do you ever use art as a sort of form of solace to look at a painting to calm down to meditate to find a place of calm I don't often go to art to find that I often go to art to surprise me and challenge me and so on but with those paintings not that they're not unchallenging but because I think as I said I approach them more as a kind of performative physical space which you can do with a painting because it is performance act it's done by hand, this body involved doing it. I think I'm more drawn to that particular sort of region of Indigenous painting because I think it does let me stand still and watch and whether, I don't know if it calms me down, but it, it certainly places me in a still space, which doesn't mean other painting wouldn't do that for me. I think painting is an interesting medium in that it's physical and it probably does ask us to stand still in front of it more than a photograph. I mean, a photograph can intrigue us, but I often think a photograph makes us go in search of information. It's an info medium because, you know, it's predominantly used in the world in that function, where I guess for me a painting does provide that other space for me, depending on the nature of the painting. Your fourth and final choice Um, is definitely something entirely different. It's the opposite, exactly. And um, this work is called, wonderfully titled, 
Titty Pussy Dad from 2018 by the British artist Sarah Lucas, who was born in 1962. And she created her sculpture out of bronze, concrete and cast iron. And it's a chair with a very sort of distorted bronze body lying over it that looks as if it's been maybe cast from balloons. So it's a very irreverent, wildly funny and strange work. When did you first come across this artwork? I've known of Sarah Lucas's work for many, many years. She is one of my most favourite female artists and partly because I just have a strong connection through my own practice to that type of work. I fell upon her work, I can't even remember when it was, but it's like the ones with the photo with her sitting back with the fried eggs on her breasts and one with the chicken open between her legs. And I guess the sort of, because I try to not use ha-ha humour, but to use her humour and irony and parody in my own practice while trying to say something quite political about obviously women's positions in the world, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think I was very drawn to that immediately because, yes, it made me laugh, but it made me go, ooh, that's cutting through in a really straight arrow sort of way. And so I just was completely drawn to her practice. And then the other thing that I loved about it was she just lays a hand on all sorts of materials. And that's definitely something I've always worked with. I mean, I've worked with bronze since, I don't know, the 2000 or something, when everyone said, why are you using that material, that crappy old material that's loaded with classical references? And I'm like, that's why I'm using it, because it's a fantastic material to pull apart in that sense and to make people think about it as a material again. But also, quite obviously, her use of the body and casting of the body is completely exactly where I am coming from. In fact, her work is just a natural fit for me. I love it. And I just think she's quite courageous. Like she's really out there, but she's got a very fine aesthetic at the same time. And it obviously doesn't appeal. I I know people who can't stand her work because they find it really affronting and confronting. But I don't, I just, I see a humour in it and I see a kind of playfulness as well. Like she's a trickster and, and I, I often describe myself as that within art. And I like the fact she roams where she wants to and there's a kind of sense of freedom and a spiritedness to her practice that I really love. I mean, as you mentioned, there are correlations between your work and her work. And obviously humour is a very strong connection. And I'd love to hear more from you about what you think is the revolutionary power of like humour in contemporary art. Well, I think it's unguarded. You know, people could find themselves laughing at something and then they're like, but why am I? You know, like it's a sort of, it's a great opener in a sense and it put people at ease in a way because they've got a way to approach a work in a sense might be actually having quite a sort of hefty punch behind it. I'm a feminist. I've worked in that space for a long time. At the same time, I'm not only that. But I think when you want to talk about things that, are tricky in lots of ways. There's a lot of different approaches to it. I always knew that I wanted to speak into that space, but I didn't want to feel like I was giving people a lesson of a way to be and or to be too didactic about it. And I think that irony, parody, humour, whatever, is a fantastic way to still make a strong statement but come at it from another angle where people can get something from it but at the same time, you know, be aware that, um, you know, as, as Sarah Lucas is, is trying to make quite a strong point. And I guess women and humour hasn't always been put together either, just generally speaking. And 
why is that? You know, it's a kind of a curious thing. I think that's also part of it, that there's no reason why women aren't just as good at using irony and humour as a way to speak to these more political issues. I mean, it's not like, you know, you make a decision, oh, I'm going to make a funny artwork. It's more, I think it's a way you are yourself. I like to think I've got a pretty good sense of humour. I'm sure she probably has too. I've never met her. But it's kind of being playful, I guess, and using mischief in, a, in an interesting way. Like years ago, I did a work or a series of works under the title Thief's Journal, which I ripped off from Jean Genet. But I kind of loved his idea of the thief breaking into someone's house but actually not taking anything, just roaming around. And it was the kind of occupancy which was what that person took away. And I always thought I wander around in art history like that. I come in, I'm a thief because I haven't been invited for most centuries. And I wander around, I take what I like in my my sense of not physically taking it. And then I go away and I remake it in another way. So I create a kind of alternate to that. You mentioned that this work makes a strong point. What do you think that point is? I think it's in the representation of the female body because obviously, um, you know, there's a whole lot of associations. Like a lot of her work, it's over an abundance of tits. It's kind of excessive. And I think it's a very scary thing. The idea of the excessive woman, I think she goes right to that space. And so she multiplies breasts, the body's kind of intertwined I think in this case it's through a chair so you know it's not lying there passive it's sort of disturbing at the same time as it's funny and I think she puts those two things together very well also so we kind of laugh at it because it's odd and then we're going but what are we really looking at here what is this female body doing you know and so I like all I like those sort of disruptions to the general flow if you like of how women's bodies have tended to be into depicted in the history of Western art within that Western context. They're either very passive or they're romantic or sensuous or whatever, but they're not often disturbing. I mean, there's obviously, there are works in which women's bodies, I'm thinking of Gusta of Courbet's L'Origine de Mont and so on, which I think she's referenced, I've referenced, I made a big neon work out of it. So there are disturbing works, but then there's something very different when it's a woman who decides to own that space. I think that's a very different position to take. And it is an astonishing fact to think that when Gombrich did the story of art in 1950, whenever it was, it had not one woman artist in it, and then it took 1996 to have one. I guess I'm a little bit older than Sarah Lucas, but I think we're still within a generation where we still have to, I mean, I have young women students still needing to do that kind of work. You know, it doesn't go away in a sense. It's still, you're against a very big force in society that wants to to pick women in certain ways. And so it's kind of always unfinished business. And so I think as a kind of offering back to art history, it's good to have women like Sarah Lucas coming in and making work that has a kind of light touch, but it comes with a heavy message. And I think that's a really good blend. So my final question for you today is, in what ways do these works by Tracy Moffat, Sol Wiener, Yakulchi Napangati and Sarah Lucas resonate with your own artistic practice? Well, some, as we just discussed, like Sarah Lucas, 
on the same page, you know. I'd see that as a kind of a mate in art. And I think Tracy's work also because I strongly respond to her themes and she's an Indigenous artist from Australia, so that's a very important thing. The same with the other Indigenous work. It's not work I would make. But that's a great thing. I love to look at things that I wouldn't be making. Then I go on a different sort of journey, if you like. And I guess the Soul Wiener was just this stray work that I fell upon and I thought, oh, now I know who that photographer is. I know that name now and I probably will look up and see more work. What is he doing today, etc. So that was the sort of unknown and the other's One was just this beautiful visceral thing to do with painting from a region, Indigenous region that I have always loved when I go and look at those shows. And I guess I'd like to see the other two as my um, women in arms, (laughs) creating, I guess, throwing things back into art history and blowing it up a bit in certain parts and bringing fresh stories to it. Julie, thank you so much for joining me. I've so enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. Good questions too. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Jennifer Hickey, and this has been Artists, Artists, brought to you by the National Gallery of Australia. This podcast is part of the National Gallery's Know My Name initiative, celebrating the contribution of all women artists to Australia's cultural life. See their art, hear their stories, and know their names. Information about the works of art discussed in this episode can be found in the episode show notes. You can subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app or listen at nga.gov.au. This is a people-powered podcast made possible through donations to the National Gallery. Your support helps us elevate art, artists and the National Collection. Make a donation today.